Good, good, good morning. Uh, do y'all leave stuff in the pulpit regularly? Worthy is the Uh Well, this is going to be an interesting journey, isn't it? <laughs> good morning, and the Lord be with you. It is so good for us to be here um, with you in Richmond, and I'm grateful to so many people, to Jim Ferguson, who just sang that beautiful solo, and I know you're not supposed to clap in church, but I bet you want to. Go ahead. Jim called me one day and we were friends. We were on the seminary board for nine years together here in Richmond. And Jim called and said, look, I know you're traveling all over the country working with clergy. Do you know anybody who might want to come and be good at being our interim? And I said, well, let me get back to you. So I called him back. I said, what, what about me? And he said, no, I said somebody good. <laughs> so we couldn't find anybody. So here I am. I'm grateful to Bruce Tyler and the search committee for seeing something in in me and uh, inviting me to come and for the session for extending the hospitality and the vote of confidence in me and to Carson Ryan for his support. Um, I called Charlie uh, Summers and said, Charlie, I'm uh, the guy coming in behind you to, you know, do the transition work and do you have any words of wisdom for me about serving the church? And he said, if I were you, I would just relax and enjoy it. They are wonderful people. And he had nothing but good to say about you. And uh, I know Charlie. I know his history. I know how big his heart is for missions, for the church, for the world. And just a very kind, loving man. And so it's a privilege to uh, follow him and to be in this interim position. Catherine, my wife's here, if you raise your hand, Catherine, um, and my sister-in-law, Phyllis, and my mother-in-law, Lois, most importantly, my mother-in-law, Lois, <laughs> is here, so I got to watch it today, and uh, uh, they live in Newport News, Virginia, and Catherine is from there, all of her family's still there, I think she's the only one who left, who got out. Our three adult children were all born in Norfolk, Virginia, so they are all Virginians, um, born over Virginian soil. My first uh, church as a Presbyterian was First Church in Norfolk, Virginia. I was associate pastor there. So we're coming back full circle. You've got some information wrong about me. It says I retired from my part. I retired. I am not retired. I need a check. <laughs> Everybody okay with that? <laughs> I did serve nine years as a trustee of uh, Union Seminary here and was back and forth to Richmond many, many times during those nine years. But I don't think I've seen a fraction of this great city. And we're looking forward to living in Richmond, to being with you in this transition, to working with this excellent staff that you have in place um, and just to, to get to know you. So please tell us your names several times, maybe for the next five or six years. And every time you see us, tell me who you are, and I'll work hard to remember that. Your name's important. 
I will be praying every day, and I'm not being pious. Um, I'll pray every day for this church while I'm here, every morning in my prayers. I'll be praying for you. And so I would ask you to be praying for me. And if you know somebody who has been a member here and they kind of slipped away, call them and and ask them to come back home and uh, ask them to meet you here on a Sunday. This is a great church, great history, a great city, great potential, a great uh, service to Christ. And uh, I am so honored to uh, be your interim. I also want to say that uh, the Gammon family is here today from Myers Park, and they just happen to be in Richmond today. And uh, Chris is related to the founding pastor of Myers Park, Dr. Gammon, who is my hero. Of course, he's been with the Lord a long time now, but I love that man, his courage, his vision, his strength. So how cool is it that Dr. Gammon has sent his family here to be with me on this opening day? Uh, I just feel like I got an angel, Uh, not you, Chris, but your wife. And Dr. Gammon, thank you uh, for your inspiration. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, they call this Low Sunday, but that can't be. And nobody told these folks. They've all shown up. They say this is the day everybody goes back home after Easter. And yet... We have gathered in your name. We thank you for the beauty of this sanctuary, for this glorious choir and music. We thank you for all the good gifts you have showered upon us. And as we come now to worship, you are the audience. And we all are on stage. And everything we say and everything we do, we offer to you in worship. Break this word open to us and open our eyes to who you are so that we can be who you called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is is an Easter Day story, and I chose it because it's, um, you know, the day after Easter, the week after Easter. But this happened on Easter day, on Easter afternoon, get that in your mind, late in the afternoon, seven miles away from Jerusalem. If you've been to the Holy Land, you know Jerusalem is up on a grand hill, like a mountain. So everywhere in the Bible will say they went up to Jerusalem. That means you've got to climb up to get to the holy city that Jim sang about this morning. So seven miles away from Jerusalem would be down off that mountain and moving back into the valley. And that's where this story takes place, late afternoon on the day of the resurrection. It's in Luke 24. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, 
Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? Now, let me just stop here and say, that is no way to talk to Jesus. (laughs) And he asked, what things? And they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how their chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. And moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see him. And then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prop prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. And as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. And they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it. And he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road? While he was opening the scriptures to us. And that same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. Found the eleven and their companions gathered together. And they were saying, the Lord is risen indeed. He's appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road. And how he had been made known to them. In the breaking of the bread. The word of the Lord. This is one. Of, this is an interesting, interesting story. Seven miles from Jerusalem, two people who are obscure. This is not Peter. This isn't James or John. Cleopas and somebody. We don't even know who they are. On the day of resurrection, Jesus shows up. Seven miles out of the holy city, out in the country, to two, I don't know that anybody's insignificant, but you know what I mean. Two insignificant people. Why not, why didn't Jesus do this? Why wouldn't Jesus go to Pilate? Go back to the praetorium, go to Pilate, show his hands with the nail scars, and say to Pilate, I'm back. (laughs) I mean, wouldn't you have done that? Gone back and said, you know, look, you thought you had the power. But you don't. 
You thought the empire ran things, but it doesn't. You thought your kingdom was the kingdom, but it's not. Oh, I would have gone, if I'd have been Jesus, I'd have gone to Pilate. And then I would have gone to Caiaphas. The high priest puppet who Pilate owned. I would have gone to him and said, you still don't think I'm the Messiah? Carpenter's kid from Podunk, Nazareth. Hmm. Not so much. I would have gone to every key player in that story and shown myself and flaunted it in front of them and said, here I am, I'm back. The power belongs to God. But you know where Jesus goes on the day of the resurrection late in the afternoon? Seven miles off the mountain on some country road going to a little village called Emmaus to two individuals who are clueless about what just happened. Does that not tell you something about God? You might have a son this morning or a daughter or a wife or a husband or a friend who is lost and clueless. Just walking down the road to Emmaus and doesn't have any of the answers to any of the questions. Can regurgitate history. Here's what happened to somebody back there, but nothing yet has happened to me. It needs to happen to me. And this story says our God shows up for two insignificant people on a country podunk road on the very day of resurrection instead of going to Pilate or to Caiaphas or to Herod or to the men who nailed the nails in that cross and spit on him. He showed up to two people. That tells me he might show up to me. To you, to anybody who comes in my office and says, my marriage is lost, I've done this, I've done that, I've, I'm lost, I'm clueless, I have no answers. We have a God who shows up on your road. Undeserved. They didn't believe anything. They weren't walking along the road going, I believe in the resurrection. They didn't have any faith, they weren't people of great faith. They weren't people who knew all the theological answers to all the theological questions. They didn't know Greek. They didn't know Hebrew. Well, maybe they did. They didn't know Jesus. They had not encountered the resurrected Christ. You know, one of my greatest fears for the church is that we're going to become a museum We're going to become a museum of religious relics. And that the younger people in our society are going to look at us and think we're irrelevant. And that what we're doing is like Civil War reenactors. You know, in Richmond, you might understand this. Civil War reenactors. Where we actually sort of reenact something that happened to somebody else a long, long time ago, but it's not really the real thing. And so you go to church and there's a reenactment of Easter Sunday morning where we tell the story. Peter ran to the grave and then John ran with him. But Peter outran John. He stuck his head in. He saw this. He saw that. The stone was rolled away. Here's what it did. Have a great day. 
And the world is hungry for something more than religious reenactment. Your children, my children, my grandchildren are hungry for something more than a religious museum or club. We run the risk of being irrelevant in our culture. And when you look at the beautiful city of Richmond, you can understand with some of the problems in this city, like every city, the church cannot be irrelevant. They don't want to come to church and be a member. They don't want to sign a pledge card. They don't want to give their hard-earned money away. They don't want a a slick website. They don't want a a, a cool newsletter. They they, they don't want to come to a potluck dinner. You know what? they're, they're, They're hungry to know God, to encounter this risen Jesus Christ on their Emmaus Road. And the question they have when they come in our door is, do you know him? Have you people encountered him? Is he being preached from this pulpit and proclaimed by this community of faith? It's a powerful thing that God would choose to show up to two nobodies on the biggest day of our religious history. And in that afternoon to come to them and reveal himself to them in the breaking of bread, which we are now about to do. It tells me something about who Jesus is and who he's not. It tells me something about the incarnational love of God that shows up on your road and my road. When we're confused, not when we're clear, but when we're not clear. Not when we know everything, but when we don't know it. Not when we're good, moral, upright people. But when we're broken, sinful. Stained, caught in a trap, a habitual trap, and we can't set ourselves free. That's when Jesus shows up. I would hope you and I would recognize him in those moments for us. That we would be able to invite other people to walk with us on this road of life. Augustine wrote, our hearts are restless, O God. Our hearts are restless, O God, until they find their rest in you, not in an institution, in you. People are hungry to know this Christ. And he is a Christ who comes to those who are hungry. In that spirit, We come to his table today, not as people who have it figured out. We don't even come to this table as good people. We come to this table because we need him to be revealed to us in our confusion. In the name of, oh, I end sermons this way. I'd love for you to participate. I end sermons saying in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if anything in the sermon touched you, anything, just a word. And this is not for me. This isn't like, Steve, you preached a great sermon. But this is an affirmation for God. Your word is amen. That's the people's word. So if I say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you say, Amen. Okay, I'll do that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What a wonderful thing.